the upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. Let's get it going right here and right now. This is New Generation Declassified being brought to you today in live and in living color on the two-man power trip of wrestling's podcasting empire. If you didn't know by now, my name is Chad, and every single week we sit down and take a look back into a glorious time, a time of something that we all enjoyed to watch, and that was called the New Generation of the World Wrestling Federation. Because here on New Generation Declassified, we are going to take a look back at a classic show from the New Generation era, the January 10th, 1994, Monday Night Raw, a Raw that would see a group of underdogs capture some gold, and we're going to break it down here for you today, maybe teach you something you didn't know about a classic show from the old glorious era of that new generation. So if you didn't know by now, like I said, my name's Chad, and I'm going to welcome in the crack broadcast team first, the man in the middle, the guy who is going to uh, provide some expert commentary, some stuff he's going to probably uh, dig out of his memory banks that he forgot, and we're going to shake it and make him remember it. Uh, Mr. CP there in the beautiful Jersey Shore region of the United States of America. CP, how are you this evening? I'm doing very good. Excited to dig into our show topic. Uh, in fact, I'm so excited that earlier I jumped out of my chair and I almost hit my head on the ceiling. That's pretty good. Yeah, and I can see he's in a springboard chair, so that's a pretty good leap. Nearly hitting the other uh, chair. If you didn't get that haircut in Vegas, then you probably would have. Your hair, your head would have touched the ceiling. <laughs> that's but- perfect. But I digress. And then the man on the bottom is the man with the golden mouse, the man who is making the clicks that show us what we're about to see as we're going to watch this January 10th, 1994, Monday Night Raw in the background. Mr. Timmy W. down there in the sunshine state of Florida. Timmy, how are the clicks? How is the show? Are we ready to roll here tonight? We're ready to rock, but Florida is not too sunny these days, man. It's, It's crazy down here. That's funny. I don't remember anything happening in January 1994. Isn't that where we are right now? There wasn't anything bad happening in Florida. Maybe a hurricane. Probably a hurricane. Probably. And if there wasn't a hurricane that hit land, it was probably brewing somewhere. But hey, what are you? Uh, what are you going to do? So yeah, let's uh, let's kind of talk about this. It's Monday, January 10th, 1994. The road to the Royal Rumble in full swing. Of course, the Royal Rumble at that point with huge implications of WrestleMania. We would later find out that there would be two main events of that show, but we didn't know that in early January as the title picture was a little murky. Uh, There was a lot of guys that could step into top spots. We just watched the Lilex Express steamroll the summer and kind of work its way into the fall. But now as the calendar changed to 1994, I really feel like the new generation did kind of take center stage and we saw a lot of newer, younger talent get the old uh, rub. And we're going to talk about some of those on this show. Uh, We got a chance to watch it. We got a chance to actually see it. So uh, CP first impressions of uh, going back in time and watching this classic raw. Uh, 
I think it's a I think it's a very entertaining Raw. Uh, again, if you go back to just this, the fact that Raw is an hour in general, I think makes it much easier to swallow. Um, and it's just it's an action packed hour, even with the even with kind of jobber matches in the middle. I I, just, I think those flow so well. Like, like there's just constant action and fun during this show. And Crazy big surprises. Yeah, and then absolute. How about the fact that not only is it just a, a pivotal raw uh, for what happens, but the fact it's only the one year anniversary of Monday Night Raw at yes. that point. I mean, and we've seen the tenth anniversary, the fifteenth anniversary, the twentieth anniversary, and so on. Uh, so this one being a one year anniversary, you know, typical uh, VKM pulls out a a big surprise, and we'll talk about that here on this show. Yeah, and to go along with that anniversary in the beginning. Uh... We actually see a one-year birthday cake, which we know what a birthday cake means in wrestling whenever one makes its way to the stage. <laughs> yep, usually somebody's going to wear it. That's uh, that's usual uh, Vince McMahon fodder. His, when, whenever you see something like that, that's where you know the, the Vince McMahon personality really uh, really shines through. But also I'll tell you what shines through, and it is what Raw was able to build throughout a calendar year. Mm-hmm. And kind of work its way from just being inside the Manhattan Center and and go to some classic WWF haunts, you know, the Mid Hudson Civic Center, uh, classic little venues that you would see a house show on a weekend in the uh, you know in the summer uh, pass through. Uh, but nonetheless, not translating to what we would see, you know, just a mere three years down the line when they were in bigger arenas and and kind of a real touring entity. Here it was almost more the simplicity of that first year of Raw that made it endearing. And this show, you know, really loaded with, you know, legends, Hall of Famers. Uh, But at that point, you know, one year in, you know, pretty much in line with what you saw from day one, the uh, the prior January. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think everything, as you said, uh, the the new generation is really coming into the forefront. Uh, This specific period of time, I have very fond memories of uh, starting with the prior Survivor Series and then yeah, running through Rumble and WrestleMania 10. So I think this is a great time. Interesting to note, too, that this uh, this Raw, while you're speaking of the arenas and venues, uh, it's coming from a backyard of sorts of the uh, TMPT Empire, Empire, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the Richmond Coliseum in Richmond, Virginia, that was the first point I really wanted to hit on this show was, yes, that venue, uh, a huge, huge a uh, pivotal venue for a lot of uh, things in wrestling history that took place um, that would have major implications uh, kind of going forward. Uh, if, if you really want to run it down, the two that come to mind are the first one being in 1995 and a show I would love to cover on this show uh, is where Diesel made the classic, uh, you know, ba- baby face to heel turn uh, in his promo where he called out uh, the corporate suits and turning Diesel from a killer into a smiling, you know, happy monster. Um, that took place in this Richmond Coliseum. But also, the first ever uh, Monday Nitro where the NWO Nitro took place was at the Richmond Coliseum. So uh, it's a classic venue with a lot of wrestling ties. And I guess you could kind of put this one into the same uh, vein. that uh, A classic, you know, moment from that era emanated from this building. And yes, Richmond, Virginia is the home away from home of the TMPT empire. We love Richmond. Great wrestling town. Great wrestling fans have always treated us well. And uh, no doubt in my mind, um, 
the history that Richmond has fits us perfectly like a glove. That's great to, great to hear. Isn't this where John's supposed to be on there to say, uh, yeah, you're right, that's exactly the, the case. <laughs> I'm telling you, and not to get on the soapbox here about Richmond, the fans itself make the town and make it a, an, an unbelievable wrestling town because especially during the Crockett era, the fans that were there during the Crockett era can tell you everything that happened absolutely every detail the insane about the baby faces hating the heels uh believing every single moment they saw was legit and that to me is what i love about wrestling and makes that territory and that special spot in the united states so cool for the wrestling fan yeah no and i I don't know if i've ever been to richmond virginia i can't recall off the top of my head that i have been but it's definitely i mean it's historically known as a hotbed for crockett and those you know, some of those uh, towns in that general area are all, you know, they're diehard fans, especially from that era. Yeah, absolutely. And Timmy, you can hit the play button and let the uh, let the old guy roll at this point as we kind of, you know, walk through. And like we said, it started off with a happy anniversary uh, kind of, uh, you know, banner because this was insane. Uh, you know, we had primetime wrestling for so many years and now we've got this Monday Night Raw show for a year and what are the highlights that we're going to talk about? Well, the first one is is this tag team title match that kicks off the show with sort of like the underdog tag team of Sean Waltman, a.k.a. the 123 Kid, who's 1993 was insane and, and catapulted him to, you know, a big baby face role. But his tag team partner, one of my favorites of all time, a guy who I will always, always talk about in the greatest light is Marty Jannetty, who formed this really cool underdog team that we would see in this episode kind of culminated pretty quick and, and rose to the top. But uh, on paper, what do you think of these two as a, as a tag team entity? Uh, I think they're a really fun team. I mean, uh, you have Marty Jannetty, who's kind of the, you know, he's the holdover rocker Marty Jannetty. He's still in the rocker gimmick, and he's finally separated. He's in a stint where he's separated from Shawn Michaels a little bit. And you have Shawn Waltman, who... You know, in ways he has that rocker look to him, rocker mentality. He's also he's revolutionary for his time in WWF. I mean, there's nobody that does moves like once you three kid at that time. He was completely different than everybody else on the roster, and it was very fun. I mean, they, they were actually the survivors on their team in the prior right. Survivor Series, which is yeah. a very fun thing. Yeah, and which you look back at and you go, oh, there you go. Vince had something in the back of his mind that he could see these these two high flyers. Because Janetti was technically a high flyer at that point because he did yeah. take to the airwaves. He dropped the big fist, the big drop kick, you know, a lot of flying mare stuff. Like that at that point, kids, that was high flying moves. Those were big impact moves. And Janetti, not being the biggest guy, if you put him in today's world, would be one of the biggest guys. Um, the perfect compliment to the one, two, three kid. But, you know, again, and not my Marty Janetti bias, which I've been accused of having in my life. Janetti um, <laughs> is a great tag team wrestler. I just don't think he got ever got the shot at being the singles guy he could have because of Marty Janetti's demons. And he talks about it all the freaking time. He, all, he He's very accountable to what happened in his career, but this is a perfect example is he makes an amazing, amazing tag team superstar. Um, and, you know, granted this was a shocker. Uh, they planted those seeds at survivor series. It's a great callback. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, uh, I just think those two together actually work really well, especially um, it's such a combined version of underdog because the kid already had 
that superior underdog thing with from his little uh you know the stint with Razor Ramon, but it had kind of that had gone away a little bit at this point. Um, it's like, but you get this opportunity to bring it back, and with Marty Jannetty, who's just this classic tag team wrestler who had not all of the years with the Rockers, they never won the WWF tag team title. Or well, they I guess they did for five minutes once, but generally they didn't really ever win the WWF tag team title. Yeah, correct. And, uh, you know, look, the two of them together, I mean, I would have loved to have seen them feud just as much as I like to watch them as a team. So it's kind of one of those things, like what else could they have done with this crew? You know, there's there's so much. And at that point, so let's go back into our 1994 brains. Uh, you know, who else do you think could have been a believable underdog team instead of these two, if you were to pick a couple of guys off that roster? What about a new natural disasters with the uh, the two who go in the main event of this uh, run? <laughs> I don't know. That wouldn't be that much of an underdog. They just sit on the competition <laughs> and eat them for breakfast and literally uh, crap them out. Uh, but how about a tag team that we're watching in the ring right now? The uh, the Quebecers, or as uh, Todd Pettengill, the uh, the great Pettengill would call them, the Quebecers. Um, yes. How about the two of them, uh, the, the impact that they had early on in 90, late mid to late 93 and then into 94, a great duo. And again, another guy I'll never say a bad thing about, an all-time favorite is Jacques Rougeau. Man, that freaking guy was money. Oh, I agree with you. Jacques Rougeau is great. Is the, Mount, the Mountie character I love. And then, I mean, this is basically, it's a similar, I mean, it's basically the Mountie, but it's, it's a little different. But uh, uh, his, yes. His frown and his shock stick are uh, some of my uh, fondest memories of my childhood. But this, oh, go ahead. No, the little background on the Quebecers, just to you know, to give CPs uh, what he was saying about the shock stick and the Mountie, is that the Mountie character had to go away because the Canadian Royal Mounties were absolutely livid at the WWF for their portrayal of the Mounties and that they made them look like underhanded bad guys. So in their little theme song that which is classic and I wish we could uh, play it all day long. I just turn the mics off and listen to it. Uh, they say we're not the Mounties because they're still dressed like them, but they're not them because they're just the Quebecers. They're not the Mounties because those Canadian Royal Mounted officers took umbrage with the fact that they were being portrayed as such uh, such dirtbags. But they still enforce the law. <laughs> and they always get their man. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree with you, though. Jacques, is, he was very entertaining, especially in these Mountie-like characters. Mountie and this, and this Jacques show as part of the Quebecers. And Jacques is like a 20-year veteran at this point, you know, with how he broke in in, in Canada with his family and, and learning it from such a young age and the lineage of the Rougeau family. And, you know, and again, his brother Raymond, when they were the fabulous Rougeaus uh, as a heel team, they were a perfect complement of the guy who would have the big mouth and the guy who would have the big punch. And Raymond Rougeau, a uh, 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 boxing champ, and the fact that he could back it up, and they might look like regular guys, but they were the perfect mix. And if you were to swap them out, and I know Ray Rougeau's talked about this in the past, you know, you could have put Ray Rougeau on this Quebecers team. Um, but, you know, I feel like Pierre was a, a great compliment to Jacques, who was the veteran at the time. And Pierre, you know, younger guy at this point, getting the rub from a, from a vet tag team. And making Pierre look like uh, like he was doing innovative things like he was. He was doing the, oh, the was. cannonball off the top. And PCO, Pierre-Carl Ouellet, still going today. And here we are looking at him in 1994 as part of the Quebecers. 
Yeah, this is uh, Pierre is great, uh, and the Quebecers in general are a great team, actually. And I, I don't think I uh, I recall them being uh, as great as uh, when I, I rewatched this match uh, yesterday, and uh, it's a very entertaining match. But yeah, the the Quebecers are just such a great, just you know, general heel team. As just they when they start to work on the kid, which is happening right now on our screen, it just turns into a constant, you know, three on two situation. And the third being the man himself, Johnny yeah. Polo, aka Raven, uh, and his stint as uh, just a, a basically country club asshole, um, playing it, you know, to the T, um, and playing it very well. Johnny Polo being a great compliment to those Quebecers, and being basically the the guy who led them into this match by getting a cheating victory over Marty Jannetty and then Marty Jannetty kind of coming back out to call out Johnny Polo and uh, leading to this match. And, you know, and it's, we could talk about this till the cows come home. The fact that Johnny Polo turned into Raven a mere year later is insane. And to see what Raven did as a character and be so revolutionary and different, it is an absolute, like mind blower to see him as this goofy Johnny Polo, you know, shyster when he's this dark grunge. Look, he's wearing a plaid suit. I, I mean, I like, was, dear God. <laughs> I was going to say that if you could put like, if you could just make that plaid suit really dirty and like, you know, kind of shred some of the edges of the suit yeah. and stuff, it could become a Raven costume. You could put it, leave him, give him the t-shirt, put the jacket around his waist <laughs> and drape the hair a little bit more in front of his eyes, you got yourself the raven right there. <laughs> but no, you have Country Club Johnny Polo. But, you know, I'll, I'll throw it to Timmy. But Timmy's a big ECW fan, and you see what Raven will become and how Raven was introduced. Is it kind of funny for you to watch a guy like Raven portraying a, a goofy character like a Johnny Polo? Oh, it's always hilarious watching this. Like, for back in those teenage days, watching ECW, I'd... I, I heard the chants and and heard you know the John you know the the Stevie and them knocking him for Johnny Polo and the other names of it, you know prior but putting it together is like holy crap that was Johnny that was Raven I was watching in WWF a year or two ago it, it's mind blowing <laughs> it's nuts and just and, and just a, a quick aside mind blowing to just see a basically like leapfrog drop kick executed by the one two three kid yeah. which again through the 1994 eyes is a huge. What a maneuver out of Vince McMahon. Yeah, this is the the one, two, three kid has multiple moves in this in this match that I I was just shocked looking at yesterday. I was like, holy crap. This I mean, yeah. he would be a star today immediately just based off his I mean, he's like six two, right? I, yeah. I didn't look that yeah. With yeah, his he's... size and ability, he would be a star today, like immediately. Yeah, he absolutely would. And back to so back to what Timmy was saying about Raven. Yeah, I mean, think about this when you you see how he debuted, and you see, look, before Johnny Polo, he was uh, what Johnny Hotbody. He was, you know, he was (laughs) a million different iterations of the same Johnny Flamingo. You know, he was the different iterations of the same character, just with now the WWF spin. They knew they had a goofy guy they could do something with, Uh, but. Here's where I do find the genius of Vince McMahon. Raven, Scotty, Johnny, whatever you want to call him, having that amazing melon, that brain he has, 
Vince McMahon automatically starting to make him kind of work on the back end of stuff. And he's a producer and he's working on promos and he's working on the television shows and utilizing that talent of Raven that had he maybe used in about 2001, 2002, I feel like the, the kind of crazy world of, uh, of Raven would have hit the WWF airwaves if he had been given the book. Like I think he thought he was going to be at one point a huge booker in the WWE slash WWF. But at this time, Johnny Polo is also doing uh, Sunday morning TV shows with gorilla monsoon and, and learning the ropes. And it's very cool. But again, only when you look at what Raven did in ECW a mere year later. Yeah, no, absolutely. They go to a commercial break and they, uh, they kind of show you that you miss some things in the commercial. That was always kind of cool when you see that uh, and back to action. But you know, what do you we just see here? You literally change. missed the tag title change. You missed the tag title change. A tease of tag title changing. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's you just you missed it in the commercial. And this is a WWF teaser. This is what they were great at stuff like this. So here comes the second referee, and it's the ruse. It, you didn't see the title change. The match yeah. is gonna have to restart, and back to live action just like that. Right? It's just it's a it. Can you imagine being in the arena and seeing that? And not knowing what the hell you just saw, you didn't know they were in commercial break, and you just saw this tag title victory like that, and then they whoop, flip it right back. Absolutely. And then even watching from home when you see that, if you thought there was any possibility that the kid and Janetti could win, you probably thought that was dead at that point because, you know, they tease it at the commercial. It's like, oh, now the Quebecers are going to win. Yeah. Exactly. That's exactly what you would think is eh, almost like if there was another wrestling show on at the time, you go, ah, eh, the Quebecers are going to win this one. I'm going to go see what's happening on Nitro. But there is no Nitro yet. So you just had to sit there and uh, maybe check uh, the football game <laughs> if there was a football game going on. <laughs> switching um, to MacGyver. You could switch to MacGyver as well. Yes. <laughs> great, great, uh, great 1994 uh, reference, um, which I guess I could tell you as we're kind of just having this match on in the background. Would you like to know some of the other things going on in 1994 on January 10th? Let's hear it. Sure. Oh, well, geez. Well, don't sound so enthusiastic, guys, <laughs> for the love of God. Do you want me to get Johnny Polo in the screen for you? Yeah, please. That would be pretty <laughs> damn awesome if you did. I'm going to give you the top 10 songs in the United States. How about that? Really quick. Ready? Here we go. Number 10, Snoop Doggy Dog. What's my name? Tevin Campbell. Can we talk? Tag team. Whoop, there it is. Michael Bolton said, I loved you, but I lied. DRS, Gangstaline, great song. Uh, Tony Braxton, Breathe Again. Janet Jackson, Again, that's another great song. Ace of Bass, All That She Wants. Brian Adams, All For Love, another great song. And Mariah Carey, the song written about me, Hero. Uh, that's your top 10 songs <laughs> in the USA on January 10th, 1994. That's perfect. I had, that was that sounds like a mixtape I made one time. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to say the same, so I can't uh, I can't knock you at all. And also, how about this? Uh, num- I, I believe the number one movie in America was a movie that held that Forrest distinction Gump. for no, no, it was not Forrest Gump. No, four weddings and a funeral. Oh, Hugh Grant, a huge, huge movie at the time. What else we got here? Of course, Bill Clinton, the president. I uh, just saw another really funny one. Let me pull this one out. This is great. For all you video gamers out there, 
uh, brand new game that came out that week, The Firemen on Super Nintendo. <laughs> Don't forget to top of everybody's list. A, oh, version also, of, a version of Bill Clinton will be making many appearances in our in the future in the new generation as well. Could be a could be a sidebar episode um, <laughs> in the future. And then how about this one for you, video game enthusiasts? Uh, not only could you get this on Genesis, not only could you get this on the Super Nintendo and the Sega CD, uh, the Demolition Man video game. Oh yeah, which would be great. Which is weird because like it was a movie I I like didn't get back then and like i watch it now i'm like this is a genius idea like (laughs) wow and guess what i think isn't demolition man supposed to take place like around this time so man are we far behind i believe it is uh we said we could switch over to macgyver but you could have also watched the boston celtics defeat the philadelphia 76ers uh excuse me the philadelphia 76ers beat the boston celtics 99 to 94 yeah, I mean, but you should really just be paying attention to the Knicks making a run towards the NBA Finals. Uh, let's see. They well, Let's see what they did that night. They were off that night. There was only two games on the docket. The other one, the Orlando Magic defeat the Houston Rockets 115 to 100. Uh, Shaq having a huge game, I'm sure, back then, because that was the first guy that came to mind about that, that uh, 94 era. The, the young Magic team was, was amazing. Underrated. Was Anf- Anfernee Hardaway as well? Penny, yep. And little Penny. God, God, I love Little Penny. Um, but then let's also talk about the rest of the show as this match is going on in the background. Uh, not only do you get this match, but you get Ludwig Borga defeats Brad Anderson uh, via submission with the torture rack. Uh, during the bout, Lex Luger calls in regarding finally being allowed into the Royal Rumble match and um, kind of teased that Ludwig Borga you know, feud a little bit that didn't really happen anywhere because Ludwig Borga would be gone in a few months because of many things. And we'll cover that whenever we talk about Ludwig Borga. Uh, and also the undertaker pinned the immortal Ray Hudson with the tombstone <laughs> and the match that they kind of advertise is the main event, which is a little bit of a knock to the uh, opening match, which is the hot match. Uh, Bam Bam Bigelow beats Bastion Booger with a body slam and the, the devastating diving headbutt. couple thoughts on uh, that main event while we have this match going on. I think the main event's actually a super fun match. <laughs> it's very sloppy at times. Like Bam Bam is struggling a little to work with Bastion, I feel like. Um, but it's a fun match. He, um, there's a moment where he, I think Bam Bam intentionally does like a Ric Flair bump over the top rope. Uh, he almost, Bastion Booger dodges out of the corner and he runs headfirst into the middle rope and then flips over the top rope. I don't know if you if you guys noticed that watching. Yeah. I did, yeah. That was perfect, and that's why Bam Bam was such a, a good big man because he could he could do something like that. And you don't picture a guy at his size doing that Ric Flair bump, but yeah. uh, he almost seemed like you know the lighter <laughs> the lighter participant in the match compared yeah, to Bastion. <laughs> uh, yep. Here we go, you know, pivotal part of this match: the one, two, three, yeah. kid uh, up against the ropes, literally uh, getting twice the finisher of the Quebecers. Uh, and looking for the hot tag on uh, on Janetti. And then how about The Undertaker? Just a squash match on this show. He'd have a big Royal Rumble, a very infamous Royal Rumble. But on this show, it's uh, kind of just a squash match to show you The Undertaker's still here. And to show you that he's dominant, he's going to take advantage of his one chance at the uh, WWF title. The casket match where The yeah. Undertaker rose to the heavens. 
after the <laughs> onslaught of the bad guys, um, which Timmy brought up a great point in talking about guys that would be in the 94 Rumble, completely forgetting the existence uh, return of the great Kabuki, um, which at that point, and also the, the massive Japanese legend Tenru, yeah. just like, oh, you know, let me, we'll get back to that as we hit the finish here. And the kind of weird uh, modified like suplex slam um, and there's your tag title victory for the one, two, three kid and Marty Jannetty as the macho man hits the ring at about 200 <laughs> miles an hour hitting the same underdogs. Hugs. Yeah. The underdogs, the, the hugs and there are the belts. We have new tag team champions completely did not see this one coming. No, this is a very fun moment. I, I this is one of those moments that I've, I just remember like distinctly is, and I don't know why it's, you know, as we'll talk about, they you know they didn't really have the titles at all. It was just this night and this moment, but it just felt so special because they were both ultimate underdogs and then combined. It was like they were the ultimate underdog tag team. And that crowd was hot for it the whole time. If you were watching, man, those hands yeah. were in the air. They were screaming. That's yeah. yeah, that's that Richmond crowd, man. That's what it's all about. They are insane uh, for their wrestling, and I mean, <laughs> and I don't think they anticipated. Uh, Oddly, the two of them just jumping right into the crowd to celebrate. Kind of, that that one kind of a little still weird to this day, but nonetheless, uh, they, they're they're people's champions as they are mingling with Richmond's finest. I think I know that guy right there in the back. <laughs> and they cut right to an anniversary clip of one, two, three kids Razor Ramon picture. Yeah, and I I thought that was weird timing. Could they have let it ride a little bit? You know, could they have given them that extra couple of minutes instead of just taking us to a B-roll of another one, two, three kid victory? Uh, kind of like uh, one, two, three kid bias there a little bit. Like, uh, hey, you think he's great now? Why don't you check um, check this one out? Um, but now, you know, going right from that, and here we go. We got a Royal Rumble report, which, like I said, Timmy, you didn't remember the fact that the great Tenru and uh, the uh, great Kabuki and Tenru were in the Royal Rumble match. Uh, but they were henchmen for uh, Mr. Fuji and Jim Cornette. You didn't have as many surprises back then like you do these days in the Rumble, but you know those were two there at that time that you know I had no idea who they were, and I I read the wrestling magazines and barely knew their names. But you know I I had not watched WCCW or anything growing up. Well, Tenru was also at WrestleMania Seven, um, and him and uh, believe Katow, uh, yeah, they yes. uh, they defeated Demolition, who might as well have been out the pasture at that point. Um, but uh, you know, Tenru had a great promotion called the SWS that the WWF crossed over with a lot, and uh, this was just like it was just a cool little aside because yeah, they didn't have many surprises. This was like the first time you really saw somebody from outside the Federation get that chance to be in this match, but they were just in this match to be hired guns. They were there to take out Lex Luger and, uh, and then ultimately would help take out the undertaker. But you know, this, this Royal rumble, we've talked about it in the past. We talked about it on the diesel episode was really the diesel showcase uh, more than it was anything that would talk about the champions. We just saw crowned, and really anybody else outside of the undertaker on this show, were not really, you know, major players on that card, but this is one of my favorite things, the rundown of who's in the match, who's signed. I love this. And they hit all you, yes. they hit you with the big ones. They hit you with Brett, Owen, Shawn Michaels, diesel, bam, bam, Bigelow doink. Oh, and there's your boy, Bastion Booger right there. <laughs> um, literally sticking with the big ones. Oh, and Billy Gunn, that the ageless Billy Gunn, um, but still, this was so cool to find out who was going to be in the match. Now, did they always make it to the match? Absolutely not. Um, 
but nonetheless, I miss this more than I miss so many things about old school it, wrestling. Is this. it was almost like a like a draft to me back as a kid? You know, this excited for this moment of the year when you get this rundown. It'd be like waiting for the, who's the first pick of the draft or the first one to enter the ring. Yeah, absolutely. It's like one of those things where it's so simple, but all they're doing is telling you. You know, these guys are going to be in this match. And yeah, you're going to see a lot of them. Uh, but there's one we just saw who hadn't been in the company for a while. And that was Greg Valentine. So it was little things like that. Valentine was well out of the promotion, but he's coming in for one shot. And this is really their finest right here. And even though I, I can't say I love the whole entire booking of this match itself. And we'll talk about the 94 Rumble, I'm sure, at some point. On paper, that was dynamite, what we just watched. And, and that, to me, looked like it was an absolutely stacked card. It absolutely was. I miss, I mean, I missed that as well. I also just missed, uh, you know, in Royal Rumble in general, the the large promo where you just get one person after another talking before the Rumble, which is kind of, you know, similar to that promotion. Just the group promotion in general. Oh, yeah. No, I love that stuff. And then how about the numbers rolling and picking out the numbers? And this is a Coliseum video exclusive as we watch, you know, uh, Lex Luger pick his number ball out of the rolly thing hey, and <laughs> go from there. Can I just make a point about 1994 uh, good old JR, who's clearly not Oklahoma JR yet? He's, <laughs> he's wearing a tie that could fit either Marty Jannetty's gear or Todd Pettengill. That's true. Maybe he borrowed it from the Toddster uh, <laughs> prior to this. Uh, but just running down the card, uh, Razor Ramon taking on IRS for the Intercontinental Championship. Uh, Razor Ramon defending. And then the the Hearts were supposed to get a tag title shot against the Quebecers. But the Quebecers just lost that. So this feud between Brett and Owen that was kind of building, and the whole point of it was that they were going after the tag belts together, just got a huge monkey wrench thrown into the middle of it by now the Quebecers not being the champions. So what are they going to do? Yeah. And Jr. has no idea what they're going to do. He, he says that in this report, he's like, I don't know who's fighting for the titles now. I guess the titles aren't on the line. That's so got to be disappointing to Brett. No. I think he says, so something. you got to look at it this way. Okay. And that is what it's the one year anniversary of Monday night raw. Vince McMahon wants to shock you. So how does he shock you? He gives you a title change. Mm -hmm. How do we make up for that, that we have a, uh, a, a pay-per-view in under two weeks? Well, we train with our Ico Pro. No, I'm just <laughs> kidding. That's Razor Ramon just right now. I'm looking at him. Now, what do we do? Well, let's look at the calendar. Oh, we're at Madison Square Garden in a couple of days. How about we shock you with the title victory, and then the people who are at Madison Square Garden are going to see another title victory as the Quebecers a mere what how many days later was it let's look at the the date it was january 17th so seven days later for those of us that can't count the quebecers defeat marty Janetti and the one two three kid to win the titles following the tower of quebec on the one two three kid after johnny polo interferes causing the kid to crotch himself on the top rope and just like that the underdog's title reign comes to an end yeah, it was a it was a unsanctimonious end to a miraculous moment. I would say. Now, here's how you would have booked it. What five years down the line, it would have been a triple threat match, but mm -hmm. we didn't know what those were at that point. It was only in in other territories that we saw three way dances and and matches that were outside of a conventional one on one uh, match. So you could have seen 
the hearts take on the Quebecers, take on the kid and Janetti, which can you, would you like to have seen Owen Hart getting there with the kid at that point and, and kind of mix it up uh, with a, a title on the line. It's, it's one of those things that this is where the old school plays in. We didn't see that in 94 uh, on mainstream pro wrestling. We didn't get to see triple threat matches. Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, that would have been an amazing triple threat match, especially, I mean, Brett and Owen were fun together. The few times they teamed together with their dynamic, um, but, you know, if you go too far into the future, I feel like in 2020, it could have just been like a dance off or something. Oh, yeah. No, forget about it. It would have been, <laughs> first of all, whereas the combined weight of those six guys would be like, you know, a lot of beef. Now they'd be like a combined weight of like, you know, 600 pounds between six guys and including the timekeeper and the referee thrown into the mix. It's just it's a different breed of cat, as they say. But that card, uh <laughs> Madison Square Garden, January 17th, 1994. The attendance has it listed at 9,000 on a Monday night in January. Probably a little cold, maybe a little snow. Uh, 9,000 at the Garden. What do we think about that? Yeah, no, I mean, it's. I would expect a higher attendance. It's probably always weird on Monday because you are competing against Raw. I mean, I'm sure tons of people were more interested in watching IRS versus Macho Man uh, on television was always mystified by those things like seeing a show the night when there was another show that was actually happening. I've been to, you know, many a SmackDown and many a raw where that was the case. And it's just weird. I mean, I went to a house show that went up against the SmackDown where the main event was uh, Hulk Hogan uh, teaming up with, uh, Oh, the rock taking on the NWO of Hogan, or excuse me, Hall, Nash and X-Pac. Gee, maybe I should have stayed home to watch Hogan, the rock and Kane take on the NWO. So, I mean, it's like, you know, you're damned if you do damned if you don't. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's why you can't really go to those shows unless you have the skybox. So you can put the TV. <laughs> now, how about this? Let me run down the card quick. Now I will, I will give you a spoiler alert a little bit. This card specifically, the main event I would like to cover with a friend of mine who is a former WWE superstar who I know has never seen this match. And I'm not joking. The first idea that I had to do a show about the new generation had to do with the match at the end of this specific show, because I've seen this match one time on a fan cam and I knew he would think it's very cool. Uh, but this let's go down the card. Uh, Scott Putsky, yes, the son of Ivan, yes, recently on the TMPT airwaves, uh, defeated the great Iron Mike Sharp. Rick Steiner fought Ludwig Borga to a double countout. The Intercontinental Champion Razor Ramon defeated Jeff Jarrett via disqualification when Shawn Michaels interfered. This was uh, Jeff Jarrett's MSG debut. Uh, the World Champion Yokozuna pinned Tatanka with the bonsai drop. After the bout, Tatanka sustained a second bonsai drop and was taken from ringside on a stretcher. So a stretcher job there at a house show, not to, to mention the fact that the Quebecers defeated the one, two, three kid and Marty Gennetti to win the titles. And the main event of this match or this card, Owen Hart wins a 30 man Royal rumble match at one hour and 10 minutes by last eliminating Fatu. Did you ever know about the 1994 MSG rumble? Uh, I don't recall uh, until yes, I was I was reading about it this week, but yeah, I don't recall seeing it now. If you look in my collection in the, on January um, Rawls, I stumbled upon it when I was getting this here uploaded, the Forgotten Rumble, as it's labeled. 
<laughs> well, I hate to break it to everybody, but it's not the only one. There's a couple. They've done this a few times where they basically, I, I wouldn't say they tried out the Rumble, but kind of just an added extra to go into the show is uh, you, you're getting to see kind of a, a simulated Royal Rumble because for the most part, the participants are nearly the same. And just to run it down, it's uh, Diesel, Mo from Men on a Mission, Bushwhacker Butch, One Two Three Kids, Scott Steiner, Iron Mike Sharp, Samu, Bob Backlund, Jeff Jarrett, Virgil, Bam Bam Bigelow, The Macho Man, Adam Bomb, Sergeant Slaughter. That's a pretty cool one to throw in there. Uh, Crush, Mabel, and Jim Powers um, <laughs> as the 30 participants. So, I mean, look. Oh, and also, wait, hang on. Bastion Booger, Bushwhacker Luke, Owen Hart, Rick, Rick Martell, Bret Hart, IRS, Johnny Polo, Scott Putsky, Fatu, Marty Jannetty, uh, Bart Gunn, Shawn Michaels, and <laughs> Doink. That's the last <laughs> participant. Um, I dare say on par with the 94 participants, just, you know, sub out, obviously, no Lex Luger, you know, and a, and a few other participants. But a lot of people don't know this 94 Rumble uh, took place at Madison Square Garden just a, a couple days before the actual Royal Rumble. And how about that shocker, though? Owen Hart winning that match. Yeah, no, that's great. And it's, uh, you know, perfect for, I guess, trying to see how Owen plays to the, you know, on a headline level to the Madison Square Garden crowd. That's probably the best platform to see where you're going to play nationally at that time. Yeah. And they're going to they're gonna cheer the ever-living shit out of Owen Hart because Owen Hart was always over in New York City. And I don't care yeah. what you say. You watch WrestleMania 10. There's a segment of people that are cheering for Owen. I can remember going to shows where Owen got cheers. He, you, how do you, you can't deny that electrifying uh, style uh, of Owen. But, you know, on the flip side of that, when Owen was a face down the line in the late 90s, he didn't really get over that much, which is kind of shocking to me because he had that explosive style. Yeah, I uh, I think there's uh, reasons for that that are kind of outside of Owen Hart, personally. I thought he was over for a month or two, and then things just kind of fizzled out for numerous reasons. But I agree. I understand what you're saying. I know it falls outside of the new generation, but damn, I would love to talk about the nation of domination, Owen Hart. That's my That might be oh, my fantastic. favorite Owen Hart. <laughs> Amazing Owen Hart. <laughs> enough is enough and it's time for a change uh classic before we get into the wrap-up classic uh shot they just showed was the doink babyface turn by dousing bobby heenan with the water bucket good job doink he, he deserved that <laughs> where is it, doink has to be one of those guys who's just top 10 as far as unreached potential and i know that might sound ridiculous to some people but Heel Doink is just such an amazing character. Heel Doink on par with what The Fiend probably was mm -hmm. to this audience because yeah. I don't think we got, like, it was released in 1989. Doink debuts in 1992. Um, and it just, I don't, it just, it was too WWF for the WWF's own good at that point. Had Doink the Heel debuted in the Attitude Era, he would have been Gold Dust. And, and I mean, the artist formerly known as Gold Dust. Um, no, and I'm not saying that as a joke. I'm being serious. It's just that he fell right into that cartoony era where, mm -hmm. yeah, he had to absolutely, uh, you know, kind of be a little off the wall. But Matt Bourne brought Doink to life and in a major way that could not be duplicated by the couple guys that would play him. Ray Apollo being the other one who paid him, played him for a long period of time. But and I know, Timmy, you know this again, ECW. Matt Bourne's portrayal of born again 
the, mm-hmm. the 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 basically prelude to what would be the Joker, um, mm-hmm. the psychotic doink in ECW, masterful, and it should have been mainstream, and he could have been an, an amazing heel portraying that insane doink that we'd see in ECW two years. And uh, basically, I think by the end of '94. He my buddy the franchise knows it well. My buddy the franchise yeah. will put it over all day long. I could talk about Matt Bourne with him and basically until the cows come home. You could do a whole episode on Bourne because so many don't know about him in general and, and just you talk about underrated. That guy is, is you could do it all. And that thing that was showed, you know, in Doink, just what he could do. Yeah, no, absolutely. And just before we wrap it up here, you know, they didn't just tape one show that night at the uh, the Richmond Coliseum. They got the people there. You have your, uh, you know, your team. So what are you going to do? You're absolutely going to film a few weeks of television. So they basically, you kind of keep the cameras rolling. They tape some stuff for uh, other use. And boom, there you go. It's a 1993, 1994 style uh raw taping as i just lost it of course as i'm looking for it i'm stretching as we like to say in the biz uh yeah taping the uh let's see the 17th episode that would air during the fact that <laughs> they're in msg uh owen hart defeats uh terry austin tatanka pin the great george south still going today mm-hmm. uh diesel pins scott powers who must have been a hybrid of jim powers and scott butsky uh randy savage defeats irs uh, when Crush, who was doing commentary, pushed Savage off the top as Savage attempted the flying elbow. Uh, after the match, a brawl ensued involving Savage, Crush, IRS, Tatanka, Yokozuna, Diesel, Shawn Michaels, Lex Luger, and Bret Hart, with Bret being the last man standing. How about that? That's amazing. That, that Just that group. <laughs> Bret. That's a great group of people, yeah. And Randy and Savage deserved that just for putting the cake in IRS's face earlier that night. And then how about this? On January 24th, 1994, the Raw that they taped that same night, uh, Jim Ross made his Raw commentary debut uh, that night alongside Vince McMahon. Lex Luger pins Austin Steele. Jeff Jarrett pins John Paul. uh, Not Levesque, so don't get your hopes up. Uh, The Head Shrinkers defeat Men on a Mission. Adam Bomb defeats Tommy Angel. Doink the Clown pins Joey Stallings. And Shawn Michaels pins Tyson Knox with a pile driver. Woof. Man, that was a lot of stuff that they taped that night. So imagine what those guys felt like. It's uh, it's a heck of a night of taping. But hey, hats off again to the Richmond fans. You guys saw a great show. And uh, add this one to the notch in your belt of classic Richmond moments. Uh, many more to come, I'm sure, that we'll cover. Especially, I want to talk about that Diesel promo. Oh, my God, could be my favorite it promo from that era is the diesel promo the night after the 95 survivor series. Uh, so any final uh, comments before we wrap up? Just curious. Uh, who do you guys think uh, wins a match between Ray Hudson and Brad Anderson? Oh, well, personally, you never count out Ray Hudson. I mean, that's uh that's a credo. I live by basically since 1994. It's funny. I said the same thing about the Brad guy too. <laughs> And it's not, it's not Brad Armstrong. It's Brad Anderson. It's his, uh, it's his distant <laughs> his ego. He is see, second generation though. I, I actually, in my head, he was Brad Armstrong. And I was like, oh, it's not Armstrong. It's Anderson. But, I, but he was trained by his father. who was also a wrestler. That is a disgrace to, to the great name of the legendary Brad Armstrong. <laughs> how, how the frig dare you? 
Uh, yeah. All right. So let's head into the wrap up here. Look, this was cool to kind of go back and watch a show from that era. Something I definitely want to do uh, next week. Uh, working on uh, having somebody join us. Might not necessarily be uh, a, a performer. Might be a just an additional voice that's going to provide some uh, context to certain things uh, going on in this new generation era. And uh, we will basically see you then. But before we do, just remember, you can follow me on the social medias at Chad EMB. It's Twitter and Instagram. Uh, anything and everything going on with the TMPT empire is at TMPT empire.com. Uh, the litany of podcasts that we have going on, the interviews, uh, the dissections, Dr. Tom JP, the light in the world on fire, one guest at a time. And it's all going on there at TMPT empire.com. And that's uh, enough out of me. Uh, CP stick and moves podcast. A lot of things going on in your side of the, uh, the, the playground here. So why don't you tell us what you got going on? Yeah, absolutely. We have a uh, season one of the stick and move stories podcast complete. You can find it on Spotify or anchor right now. Uh, we are going to be on more platforms and also coming out with season two in the, uh, probably towards the end of the summer. Actually, I was looking for an earlier release than that, but I think it's going to be towards the end of the summer at this point. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at pugs. That's uh, P U G Z Z Z with three Z's. At Pugs, you can also find the Stick and Move Stories uh, Facebook page uh, if you want to comment on there. And just want to hang out, have fun, and enjoy some mid '90s new generation wrestling. Yeah, geez, do it already, God! I mean, <laughs> don't, don't let me stop you. Just go do what you got to do. And Timmy, good clicking, <laughs> great collection. Uh, love the videos. Uh, gonna go watch the '94 uh, MSG Rumble shortly. Uh, but what you got going on there, buddy? Before we wrap up, just basically got you know the new generation. You can find me on Twitter at Vazdeferon. I talk wrestling, sports. I uh, try to stay away from politics these days. Some Corona um, and any computer IT you want to talk, I'm all for that too. I can help anybody out. But that's about it for me. All right, and that's, uh, that's been another fine week back there in the new generation era. God, I love this time frame. We can go back and do this shit all day, and I am all about it. So uh, that's enough out of us. If you uh, want to stay uh, tuned and catch some more, we'll be back next week. So if you didn't catch us now, you can catch us on the flip side. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.